the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The Law Offices of Selwyn Whitehead is a debt relief agency under federal law and provides legal assistance to consumers seeking debt relief under the United States Bankruptcy Code. This is Selwyn's Law. Every week at this time, we get to hear from Selwyn Whitehead. She's not just an attorney at law. Selwyn knows her stuff and doesn't shy away from the truth, even when it's ugly. Her Bay Area practice focuses on helping her clients to manage their wealth through estate and tax planning, to managing their debt through reconstruction or bankruptcy. And now, it's time for Selwyn's Law. Good day, and welcome once again to Selwyn's Law. I'm Selwyn Whitehead, and I'm a California Bar-admitted attorney, and I'm also a bankruptcy law certified specialist who's been certified by the State Bar of California's Board of Legal Specialization. And as I've shared with you before, in addition to my JD, I hold a couple of master's degrees in law. That is to say, I'm both a master of the laws of taxation law and a master of the laws of intellectual property laws. Now, because of my education, my training, my experiences, and my life's observation, along with my lifelong interest in business and money and finance and the creation, preservation, and transfer of wealth within families and communities, including tribal communities, and the roles that these particular aspects of economics play in the lives of everyday people like you and me, I primarily practice bankruptcy law. However, I also practice some related fields in my overall consumer and small business finance practice. That is to say, I also practice debt wealth management, estates and trusts, real estate, and of course, taxation law. Now, with these areas of law as my reference points, as they relate to the personal, familial, community, and small business aspects of finance, I spent the greater part of the last 40 years, both before and after getting my license to practice law, fighting for the economic empowerment, the economic independence, and the economic autonomy of women and communities of color, including indigenous communities. And because I grew up as a military brat, Veterans Day, hey, and also helped create one with my former military spouse, who was also in the military, I have firsthand knowledge of just how hard it can be, sometimes financially and economically, for our citizen soldiers, sailors, airmen and women and Marines, and their families in our sometimes less than patriotic capital-based economic system, especially after these individuals and their families separate from the service. As such, I also proudly serve veterans of all stripes and in all branches of the military. And as I've shared with you before, because I was able to spend time with my grands uh, in the Jim Crow South, and these ladies were inspirational to me uh, as they survived what I consider to be the four great um, tests of people of color and women in the last century, that is to say the Great Depression, World War II, and the systemic racism and misogyny that unfortunately continues through into today. Because of my love and respect for these women, uh, I seek out, and if I'm able and it makes sense legally and and, um, ethically, I seek out and try to assist uh, seniors and individuals with disabilities because I find that they are the targets of some of the most pernicious forms of financial elder and senior uh, adult abuse that's running rampant in our society today. 
So the purpose of Selwyn's Law, in case you haven't guessed it, is to discuss the law related to your money and more and more these days, the lack thereof and your overall finances and what you might need to consider and uh, to protect or reclaim or rehabilitate your and or your families or your business's financial health wealth and money-related well-being as I understand these concepts in this non-threatening educational forum. However, I must once again ask you to please note that this show does not provide any legal advice, nor am I developing an attorney-client relationship with anyone within the sound of my voice. Instead, this show strives strictly to serve as an educational forum for the exchange of information from me to you that might be helpful to you as you begin your search for more detailed information that's tailored to your specific set of facts and circumstances and hopefully provide you with at least an overall outline of some of the key issues that may help you seek out and find the qualified professional help I believe you need if you're having a legal issue that intersects with your finances and or your assets and or your debt. So today with the midterm elections this past Tuesday, November the 8th, partially, although not completely in our rear room mirrors, as we must take a collective deep breath and wait patiently for the outcomes in Arizona, Georgia, Nevada to see which party will control the United States Senate's agenda for the next two years. Likewise, we must wait for the outcome in at least a score of district races, mostly here in California, to determine which party will control the agenda in the House for the next two years. But it appears to me at least, or I hope at least anyway, that the people have spoken and we have voted for rational folks who want to keep our country moving forward by dealing with rational issues that affect our economy and our other public policy issues. So it appears to me that our union remains intact, at least for now, I pray. Uh, and I would be remiss to not give a big shout out to one of my favorite newcomers on the political scene, that is to say, Democrat U.S. Representative Mary Platola, the first Native American from Alaska to be elected to Congress. Even though I've never met her, I really like her style. As reported in an article by Iris Samuels and Morgan Kakow and published in the Anchorage Daily News this past Thursday, on November 10th, Ms. Platola was leading in the first choice vote in primary returns, preliminary returns, with over 217,000 ballots counted and thousands of absentee ballots left to be tallied. Ms. Pertola had 47% of the first choice votes. Uh, they have a, a ranking system uh, that they're using in Alaska. So she's in first place with 47%, with Republican former Governor Sarah Palin in second place with 27%, and Palin's fellow Republican Nick Bigich and Libertarian Chris By with 24 and 2% respectively. Now, under Alaska's new ranked choice voting system, results aren't final until a candidate has garnered more than 50% of the vote. If the leading candidate doesn't cross that threshold, then the winners will be determined by who's in second and third place, and they'll reallocate the votes. And it's very complicated, but it actually makes sense. So in the meantime, I wish Ms. Uh, Portola uh, the best. Um, so I want to be frank with you all out there in, in Radio Land. As I've heard from many of you who 
you know, you said, you know, my urging you caused you to go vote, and I'm glad that I did. But I got to tell you, we owe it to ourselves and our communities to vote every time without urging. And I su supplement this by saying we also have to be involved in our local, state, and federal processes in the political process we have to get involved for ourselves and our children so it's not just we vote once every two years you know and then vote in the presidential election once every four years we have to go to school board meetings city council meetings put ourselves up or do what we can to help educate our community. So, and I want you to know, again, I have voted in every election since I was 18. I voted when my former spouse and I were stationed overseas or out in the boondocks. I voted absentee and I timely placed my ballot in the mail. Since I've lived continually here in the Bay Area for the last 30 years or so, I have been a poll worker, I've been a poll watcher, and a couple of years I was actually put in charge of, of womaning a couple of polling places. And because I worked on the polls at the polls during the election year, that meant I couldn't go to the place where I was supposed to vote. So I became a permanent absentee balloteer. And I suggest you do too, because there's such advantages of you can vote in the privacy of your own home and do the research on your computer um, to figure out, you know, how to vote for things. Now, since I have voted, we as a nation have accomplished great things uh, on you know, as we help bend the arc of the moral universe towards justice. And I just want to give a couple of them. Um, there's been several reauthorizations of the Voting Rights Act of 1965 that was signed into law by Lyndon Bain Johnson when I was a little girl. It paved the way for my father, my uncle, and my grandparents to be able to vote almost unencumbered up until the Supreme Court gave it the death penalty in the Holder v. Shelby County decision in 2013. Finding, the Supreme Court did, they found that systemic racism in voting in southern states no longer existed. Well, I gotta tell you, find, that finding was news and remains news to most, if not all, black and brown people, including the members of my family who still live down south. And the other piece of legislation is the Community Reinvestment Act of 1977 that was signed into law by Jimmy Carter and when I was a teenager and a young wife. And it made banks, under the supervision of the federal regulators, have to lend to their entire communities, including those that had been historically redlined. Now, its enforcement mechanism was and remains the requirements that bank report out to regulators the community on an aggregate basis, who in the community they're um, making their loans to. In a previous iteration of my life, my colleagues and I used that information to educate members of Congress and the banking regulators about the financial needs of our communities, which over time led to the financing of a modern mall in a heretofore food and retail desert in East Oakland. One of the projects that I hope the Lord will take into consideration when I have to make the final transition and explain, you know, why I should be let in. <laughs> now, the tools of the Community Reinvestment Act 
They're still operative today, but they were enhanced and revitalized by the Dodd-Frank Act that was signed into law by President Barack Obama back in 2010, and it created the Financial Consumer Financial Protection Bureau, and it oversees all aspects of lending to all communities, and it's a great tool. However, it too is coming under threat because of a decision in a matter known as the Community Financial Service Association versus the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau, where the court said that it doubted that the funding of that entity was constitutional. So these are just two examples to illustrate how our government is very fragile and requires constant attention from an informed public that cannot be distracted or swayed into looking at shiny objects during the countdown to an election. But we have to be involved each and every day. We have to make sure that our legislative bodies are taking care of our needs, not just on election day, but more importantly, by engaging in local, state, and federal policy in the discourse each and every day. So when we come back, I'm going to share some good news for black and brown veterans. But first, we're going to take a short break and I'll see you on the other side. Now back to Selwyn's Law. Once again, your host, Selwyn Whitehead. Welcome back to Selwyn's Law. As I take this opportunity to say thank you to all veterans and share a bit of good news for black and brown veterans. Actually, I think it's good news for all veterans. As I share with you each week, I was and remain a military brat. I'm so proud of my dad who left the service, the army, as a, as a master sergeant. But because of his valor during the Korean War, he received a battlefield commission. And at least to me, I believe that he's at least partially responsible for helping the U.S. achieve some of its military goals in that conflict. I never knew this about my dad until I became an adult and was married and my new family went back home to spend Christmas with my dad and my younger siblings. That's when he told a story. He told us all a story. Uh, uh, why he wasn't around when I was born, although he and my mother were married happily, and why I remember being introduced to him by my mother when I was a toddler. And we became instant friends, maybe because we looked so much alike and had similar personalities and dispositions. Anyway, while he had expected to come home for my birth, as the armistice ending the hostilities uh, that were brought about when North Korea invaded South Korea in June of 1950, a few years before I was born, and had been signed by the United States, the United Nations, North Korea, and China in 1953, he was on a transport ship that bought him back home, him and his men back home, but when his men got off, he received orders to report to a new unit where he was to take part in an experiment to see if white soldiers would follow the instruction and leadership of a black non-commissioned officer. He and the other black soldiers proved to be equal to the task such that ultimately, as of November 1954, the United States Army was integrated under the direction of then-President Dwight Eisenhower. 
Now, notwithstanding the Army's full integration the year I was born, which is also the year that Brown versus Board of Education was uh, implemented by the Supreme Court, black and brown soldiers have had to live with the daily insults of having to serve on military bases in the United States that were named after Confederate generals who fought to keep us in bondage, including Fort Polk in Louisiana, Fort Benning and Fort Gordon in Georgia, Fort Bragg in North Carolina, where I spent quite a bit of time as a, as a young girl, Fort A.P. Hill, Fort Lee, and Fort Pickett in Virginia, and Fort Rucker in Alabama, and Fort Hood in Texas. Officials have said that they would not recommend the changes to other another uh, a base in Louisiana because it was owned by the, the Coast Guard. But this year, on October the 6th, 2022, Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin uh, directed senior uh, defense leaders to begin changing the names of the bases and assets honoring the Confederacy, bringing the Pentagon into line with the recommendations that were issued by a congressional commission. Now, Austin said he agreed with the findings of the Naming Commission, a group convened by Congress to purge the military of commemorative references to the Confederacy and is committed to implementing the renaming of these military institutions and artifacts as soon as possible. In his October 6, 2022 directive to senior Pentagon leaderships, uh, defense agency and Department of Defense field directors entitled Implementation of the Naming Commission's Recommendation, Secretary Austin stated, the installations and facilities that our department operates are more than vital national security assets. They are also powerful public symbols of our military. And of course, they are the places where our service members and their family members work and live. The names of these installations and facilities should inspire all those who call them home fully reflect the history and values of the United States and commemorate the best republic, the best of our republic that we are all sworn to protect. Now, to uphold these values and to respond to the will of the United States Congress and uh, pursuant to a bill named after William M. Mac Thornberry, I established, this is um, Secretary Austin, I established the commission of the naming of items of the DOD that commemorate the Confederate States of America or any person who served voluntarily with the Confederate States of America, the Naming Commission. So after 18 months of work, the Naming Commission has come up with names that are going to replace the names that I just mentioned to you. The naming, the renaming will take place after a 90-day waiting period, which ends on December 18th, 2022, and must be completed, the, the renaming of these military installations, by January 1, 2024. 
Austin concluded his remarks by thanking the commission for its tremendous work and dedication, its determination to respond to the directives of the elected representatives of Congress, and to the sensitivity and concerns and emotions raised by this important discussion. So, the nine bases are all in former Confederate states and were named during 1910 through 1940 amid the Jim Crow South. These are the bases and suggested name changes that were implemented uh, by the commission that um, um, Secretary Austin put in place. Fort Bragg, where I spent my time as a child, some t- my times as a child, in North Carolina is going to be renamed Fort Liberty. Fort Bragg is the home of the 82nd Airborne Division, which my dad was part of, and the name Fort Liberty honors a line in the division's song, we're all American and proud to be, well, we are soldiers of liberty. Okay, so and the other another base to be changed is Fort Polk, Louisiana, where my former spouse spent spent time being trained and training other soldiers, and it's going to be renamed at Fort Johnson after Sergeant William Henry Johnson. Johnson was a member of an all-black infantry regiment that later became the 369th Infantry Regiment. Johnson is known for saving his fellow soldiers after suffering a German grenade attack on May 14, 1918, and in France during World War I. Fort Benning is going to become Fort Moore for Lieutenant General Hal and Julia Moore, and these were a military uh, couple that did a lot of great things in the community. So Fort Benning is going to be named after them. Fort Gordon, Georgian is going to be called Fort Eisenhower for former President Dwight David Eisenhower. Eisenhower spent a lifetime in service to the nation uh, starting at West Point in 1911 and finishing 50 years later uh, on the beaches of Normandy in 1944. And as I've shared with you before, uh, President Eisenhower was a leading figure in not only integrating the military, but as you recall, he sent troops to quell the violence in Little Rock, Arkansas, when those young people um, were allowed to integrate that school. So I have nothing but the greatest respect for uh, the late great President Eisenhower, who was a Republican. Uh, Fort A.P. Hill in Virginia is going to be Fort Walker for Dr. Mary Walker. Many people don't know this. Walker is a Medal of Honor recipient who served as a doctor during the Civil War. She was the Army's first female surgeon to go into battle, where she remained with the wounded troops in her care, and she was ultimately captured and spent four months as a prisoner of war. Um, Also, Fort Hood is going to become Fort uh, Corvazos after General Richard Corvazos. Fort Pickett is going to become Fort Barfoot, for Tech Sergeant Van T. Barfoot. Fort Rucker, Alabama is going to become Fort Norvos after Chief Warrant Officer Michael J. Norvos. And Fort Lee is going to become Fort Greg 
Dash um, uh, Adams after Lieutenant General Greg Adams and Lieutenant Colonel Charity Adams, a black military couple. So if you want to know more about the history and why these names were picked, you can go find out at the Stars and Stripes newspaper. It's a newspaper for military service people, and it's at Stars www.stripes.com forward slash branches forward slash army forward slash 2022-0524 army base names confederate generals so we're going to leave it there for now but as always in closing we like to say here on Selwyn's Law we want to stay on the right side of the law including obtaining the knowledge we need to continue our form of self-government and free and fair election, and by paying respect to the men and women who stand ready and stand by to protect us in our way of life and our Constitution. Again, happy Veterans Day. Thank you for taking the time to listen to Selwyn's Law. Remember, the law office of Selwyn Whitehead is a designated debt relief agency under the federal law and provides legal assistance to consumers seeking relief under the bankruptcy code. When it comes to your finances and your rights, seek no other than the law office of Selwyn Whitehead. Selwyn is your go-to finance attorney, specializing in estate planning, wealth management, bankruptcy, tax, and real estate law. In other words, Selwyn knows her way around the dollar, and your rights are protected by our laws. Protect your money. Know your rights. Partner with Selwyn Whitehead. For immediate assistance, or if you have questions, call 510-633-1276, 510-633-1276, or go to selwynwhitehead.com. The preceding paid program is sponsored by the law office of Selwyn Whitehead, who is solely responsible for its content. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.